Thank you all for being here tonight. Appreciate it. It's good to see you all. Tonight, we're going to be preaching out of John chapter 4. So it's not your typical Easter sermon. We're not going straight to the story of the resurrection or the crucifixion tonight. We're going to continue our series in John. And so where we've been going, we're up to chapter 4 now since the beginning. Our church started on February 9th, and we've been going through John slowly, uh, but surely. And um, we're, we're making our way. And so John 4 is the passage this week, and I'm very excited for it because I get to finish the story of the woman at the well. In this story, for those of you who don't know, I've said this story is very formative. The story is very formative for the identity of uh, this church. And um, it's just very important because um, the name of our church is Wellspring. And this passage is, is surrounded around that topic, that this woman meets Jesus at a wellspring. And when he meets her at the well, he changes her life. And so I did the first half of the story um, up to the, really the first climax, uh, which is Jesus revealing that he's the Christ to her. And so tonight we're going to go over the second half of the story, which is her testimony. And I think it's particularly apt for Easter, where we think about our own testimonies to the power of the resurrected Jesus. But I, I wanted to start by reading to you the passage tonight, and I'm going to read the entire passage, um, not just the second half, because the story is so powerful. So I'll read in John chapter 4, I'm going to start here at verse 1, and it's a long passage, it's 42 verses, but uh, stay with me, we'll go through it. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well? And drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw 
He said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. Thus you have said, Truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. That's where we left off from last week. And so this week's passage, at this point his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city. They went out of the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, "Rabbi, eat." But he said to them, "I have food to eat that you do not know about." So the disciples were saying to one another, "No one brought him anything to eat, did he?" Jesus said to them, "My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work." Do you not say there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, He told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word, and they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days, he went forth from there into Galilee. Oh, excuse me. That will stop there, at Savior of the world. It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Wow. That's a lot. A lot to read, I know. But what a powerful story. I want to give you those, for those of you who weren't here last week, 
Uh, I want to give you just a little recap of what we talked about the first week about this woman. Jesus crosses many boundaries to interact with this woman, and we talked about three in particular. We talked about one, that she is a Samaritan, and the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. The Samaritans were racially mixed, uh, unorthodox believers, meaning they, they believed in the God of Israel, but they did not believe in all that he had revealed, and they were people who had been displaced people who had been displaced into the land of Israel, who were not fully Jewish. They were usually half-Jewish at best. And so the Jews, um, really, it, it's just a, a symptom of, of long-standing racism, really. And uh, the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And so Jesus crosses that boundary and speaks to a Samaritan woman. The second is, of course, that she's a woman, and for a man to speak to a woman was was very uncommon, especially for a stranger to speak to a woman. There would be some ambiguity about what the intentions of that man were. And lastly, lastly, she's clearly an outcast. She comes in the heat of the day when no other women are around. Usually the women would go to draw water together, and she goes alone in the hottest part of the day. It's the sixth hour, which means noon. She goes alone to draw from the well. And we know from the text we read that she's had five husbands. Her reputation is shot in the community. She's an outcast. And Jesus crosses all those boundaries to reach out to her. To tell her that she can have living water, which is the Spirit. And he tells her that he is the Christ. The greatest revelation that humanity has ever received, he tells to a Samaritan woman outcast. And Jesus recognizes that she is going to be a true worshiper of the Father. That the day has come when the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth and will no longer just worship at a holy place like Jerusalem or the Samaritan's holy mountain, which is Mount Gerizim, but instead worship in their heart and in the spirit. And Jesus offers all of this to this woman, this poor outcast woman. And we pick up in verse 27 where we read tonight. In verse 27 it says this, <clears throat> At this point, his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. That confirms what we had already talked about. It was, un it was unlikely and unusual for Jesus to speak with this woman, especially a Samaritan woman. But the disciples trust him. They trust Jesus. And it says they don't question him. They trust that he knows what he is doing. It's interesting, the next verse says... She left her water pot. And that verse is fraught with symbolism. Because she came for water. She came for water and she rejects physical water to try and accept the living water. She rejects physical water so that she can accept the living water that Jesus has offered. And so the text says she left her water pot and went back to the city. 
And she instantly starts offering her testimony. How off-putting this must have been for the town. That this rejected, outcast woman who went to the well to draw by herself, there's obviously some shame, some burden there she carries. And yet, all of a sudden, she's going back to the town and drawing everyone around her to offer her testimony. Is this not the Christ? He told me everything I have ever done. And of course, that's hyperbole, right? Jesus has not told her everything about her life, but you know, some of the tragedy of those words is that that's probably core to who she thought she was. For her to say, he told me everything I've ever done, you know at the core of who she is, she held that pain about having five husbands. And living with the one she's living with now who will not marry her. And so Jesus reveals her own identity to her and, and she says, this man, this prophet has told me everything I've ever done. And she gives her testimony. That's her offering her testimony of her experience with Christ. The same thing that we today are called to do. The same thing that we today are called to do still. Testimony still is central to the Christian faith. Just like this woman. She's changed. She's changed from her encounter with Jesus. And the scene cuts back to the disciples and Jesus. And it says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Eat, Rabbi, eat. And Jesus says, I have food that you do not know about. I think there's a background passage here. I think there's a background passage here. And this is a verse that Jesus has really let sink deep into his soul. And I know that because he quotes it other places. And I think the background here is Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. In Deuteronomy 8, verse 3... The Lord is speaking to the people of Israel through Moses. And he says this. He humbled you. This is Moses speaking to, to the Israelites. He, being the Lord, humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know. Nor did your fathers know that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. We know this passage is deep in Jesus because we know he quotes it in his temptation out in the wilderness, right? The devil tempts him, says, make these stones bread. And Jesus quotes this verse saying, man does not live by bread alone, but by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I think that's the background to this verse as well. I have food that you don't know about. And of course, just like the rest of the Gospel of John, we see a central misunderstanding, right? The disciples think Jesus is talking about physical food. They're like, no one brought him something to eat. Like, did, the, did this woman bring him something to eat? Or one of you guys sneak back here with something? And Jesus says, no. No, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. To do the will of him who sent me. And to accomplish his work. 
Jesus is all about his Father's work. Jesus is all about accomplishing his Father's work. We'll come back to that thought in just a little bit. Jesus says, Do you not say there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? We don't know where that saying comes from. It's not a quote from Scripture. We're not sure where it comes from, but it, it seems to be kind of like a proverbial saying, right? Four months and then the harvest, and, and the debate is about what it means. What does four months and then comes the harvest mean? I think the best explanation, I think the, the thing that makes the most sense of it, is that it's a proverb about being ready to work. Because what they're saying when they say four months and then comes the harvest, is we've got four months. We don't have to work hard now. We've got four months to wait before the real work begins. Let's relax. Let's take our time. Let's enjoy ourselves. And then when harvest time comes, we'll work. And Jesus says, what? He says the opposite. No, don't you see? This is why I think the proverb means that. Jesus says, no, don't you see? The fields are already white. For harvest. Jesus says the harvest is now. The harvest is now. That age that is coming in which people's souls are being reaped for eternal life is now, Jesus says. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life. So that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. I think Jesus is talking here in terms of ages. In terms of ages. Those who sowed are the patriarchs and the prophets who came before. Including, as we saw in John 3, John the Baptist, the final of the Old Testament prophets. Remember, John the Baptist, he dressed in, it says, in leather belts and camel hair. Why? Why did it explain that he dressed like that? Well, he, he looked like Elijah, is what it's saying. He looked like an Old Testament prophet who ate locusts and honey. John is clearly connected to the Old Testament. And how is he connected to the Old Testament? Well, he is the final Old Testament prophet because once Jesus comes, the new covenant is here. The new covenant is here. And so John stands in the, in the testimony, in, in the place of the Old Testament, the final and greatest of the Old Testament prophets. And so Jesus says, in this case, there are those who have sown, right, the Old Testament, all those who planted the seed, who told the word of God, who talked about the coming of Messiah, who prophesied and were martyred, and who, who planted the seeds of what was going to happen. And guess what? Now it's time for the harvest. They sowed. And now we will reap. 
we will reap. Jesus and the disciples and all of us who have come after have spent 2,020 years reaping. Reaping. We have spent this age of harvest reaping. And it says that Jesus is making clear that those who have sowed and those who have reaped will rejoice together. They will rejoice together. And I think of Hebrews, right? The book of Hebrews where it talks about the great cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 12. All those who came before who needed to wait for us to be made complete. That together, only together with us would they be made complete. And that is what's going on here. Jesus is saying, those who have sown and us who are reaping, we will rejoice together. And then it goes back to the city. goes back to the Samaritans. And it says this, From that city many of the Samaritans believed in Christ because of the word of the woman who testified, He told me everything that I've ever done. See, the woman's testimony is what leads to initial faith for her neighbors. Her neighbors find faith because of her testimony. But here's the thing. It's not enough for her to just tell her story. She says, come and see. Come and see. Because her testimony has to point to Jesus so that they can experience him for themselves. It's so they can experience him for themselves. And they do. They come out. They come out to the well and they meet Jesus there. They meet Jesus at the well. And what's their conclusion? It's no longer because of the word that we heard from you that we believe, but instead because... We have seen him for ourselves. We have seen him for ourselves. And we know that he is the savior of the world. Truer and deeper faith only can happen because they experience Christ. The word of testimony can lead to an initial faith, but truer and deeper faith can only come through experiencing Christ for yourself. That is the story of John 4, of the woman at the well. This first outcast who is changed by Jesus, emboldened, emboldened to share her faith in the Samaritans as a people. That whole town is radically changed because of her testimony, and because she points to Jesus so they can experience him for themselves. So what lessons can we take from this? What lessons can we take from this? I think first is our testimony is vital. It is essential. We need to share with others what we've experienced of Jesus. We need to share what our own stories are with Christ. But that's not enough. We need to point to people we need to point people to Jesus so that they can experience him for, them, for themselves. That's the only way they can reach true and deep faith is through experiencing Christ themselves. 
And the beautiful, the beautiful thing, the beauty of the age we live in is that that living water that Jesus speaks of to her allows us to experience the risen Christ even today. His Holy Spirit that he poured out so that we could still experience Christ today and that is what we need. And I feel all too often we, we leave it just where we tell our story about Jesus and we never invite people to a real experience with Jesus. We never share an experience with Jesus with them. We leave it at the, the place of our words and just stop there. And don't recognize that there's a deeper reality that people need to come to to find faith, the true and deep faith. <coughs> and we need to, we need to make sure that our words are given, yes, that we give our words, we give our testimony, but we don't leave it there and leave people with no experience of Christ to change their lives. That's one lesson. And the second that's so applicable today, that's so applicable on this wonderful Easter day, that work that Jesus talks about in John 4, I, my food is to do the work, to accomplish the work of him who sent me. The beautiful truth about Easter is that it was accomplished. He says, I accomplish, I will accomplish the work of him who sent me. And in John 19, many, many, many months down the road, in John 19, Jesus says in John 19, 28, on the cross, he says this, and he, he's calling back, all the way back to John 4, he says this, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head. And gave up his spirit. From the cross, Jesus says, The work that the Father sent me to accomplish has been accomplished. Amen. Everything that Jesus needed to do on this earth, he fulfilled. And on the cross, he can say climactically, It is finished. I have finished the work my Father gave me. That theme that comes up in John over and over. I'm here to do the will of Him who sent me. And from the cross, Jesus can say, it is finished. And how do we know that His work is finished? Because of Easter. Because of Easter. Without the resurrection, Jesus was an imposter. Jesus was... Maybe a good man who possibly died. The resurrection confirms that Jesus is the Savior of the world. The resurrection confirms that he lived a sinless life. In fact, it confirms that he brought us new life as the firstborn of the resurrected. Without Easter, the cross is pointless. 
It's a, a tragedy. A good man suffering greatly. And instead, we have a man who is God paying for sin. And we know that because of the resurrection. That is what today is. And I thought that scripture was so appropriate to preach through today because he has accomplished that work. And he was accomplishing it here when he was on earth, even with the least of these. With the Samaritan outcast woman, he was fulfilling his father's will. Looking for those who would worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus accomplished his work, and we know that because of this high, holy day, Easter. The risen Lord, he is risen. He is risen. And as we finish up tonight, I, uh, you know, I usually close by, by blessing you guys. That's something that's kind of sacred to me. Um, and tonight I thought I would do something a little different um, because I was blessed today by the Lord. I was blessed today by the Lord. And I wanted to share that blessing with you. Uh, it's pretty rare that these things happen, but you know, once once in a while in your life, you have these very unique experiences with God, and um, I had one today. It was beautiful. Uh, two times in my life, this is, this is the second time this has happened, but um, I've written two songs that I really have felt like God inspired me to write. That they they kind of just flowed out of me. One was a lament when my brother died. And I wrote that about a decade ago, and it was about a week and a half after he died. And I, I sat down, and, and for six hours I just wrote this song, and it just kind of came out of me. And uh, it was around the concept of, my, my brother's my oldest brother, and um, it was kind of tied to the concept of, of God slaying of the firstborn in Egypt, and how that affected me in my soul, thinking about my, my oldest brother dying. And that was the first time. And today, Easter Sunday 2020, it happened again. And I, I've realized that when God gives you kind of that inspiration, that moment to not quell it, you know, to not, not quench it, but to, to go with it. And um, <clears throat> this passage, like I told you, is very significant. It's where I, I received the name for this church, Wellspring, right? Jesus meeting at the Wellspring. And the fact that Jesus is the real Wellspring. She's meeting him at a Wellspring, but... In reality, she's meeting the true wellspring who offers her living water. And um, over these last two weeks, I've been preaching this passage, and I've just meditated on it a lot, and I've meditated on it a lot in my life. And the Lord uh, really almost just gave me a song is what I felt like. I, I sat down for about two and a half hours, and this song came out, and I thought I would uh, play it for you guys and sing it to you. So just so you're aware, it's... Uh, it, this is literally the first time I'm performing it, uh, so have some grace there. <laughs> but um, but I, I hope you like it. And um, this is my blessing for you got this week, you guys. I, I want you to hear this song, and I hope it touches your soul and speaks to you. I hope it speaks to you about this passage. And um, it really is about the Samaritan woman's experience. It's about who she is. And the story is kind of 
the song is kind of told from her perspective, um, and then it turns to be about the town and their response to, to who Jesus is. And the two climaxes of the story, right? One, that Jesus is the Christ, and he tells her that. But two, the Samaritans recognize that he's the Savior of the world. And of course, the power of that is that Jesus has already said, salvation is from the Jews. Salvation is not open to anyone outside the Jews. And somehow, Jesus opens a way so that he can be the Savior of the world. And the Samaritans find that he's not just the Jewish Messiah, but he's the Savior of the world. And so us too, us Gentiles, can find salvation, just like the Samaritans. That was open because Jesus offered us that same living water. Because he died on the cross, because he was resurrected, salvation was open to the world. Anyway, this song's called Savior of the World. That's the title of it.
Savior of the world Savior of the world He saved Savior of the world, but your Savior. For those of you who don't know him, for those of you who have never met him, I invite you. I invite you to experience him for yourself. Pray to him. Pray to him. Speak to him. Feel free to text me or call me. Get in contact with me if you have questions. And um, for those of you who I know who are Christians, share your testimony. Point people to Jesus. Give them a chance to experience him for themselves. Because that will change them. It will change their lives. I love you all. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for uh, sitting through a long sermon. I appreciate it. Um, I love you all, and I'm so grateful to have the chance to share uh, my heart with you, my life with you, <clears throat> and to share the word with you, uh, because there is power in it. There is power in it. And he is risen, and he did accomplish the work that he set out to do, and I can testify to that myself. He did. I love you all. Good night. <laughs>